Hi folks, welcome back to another Besides Ron podcast. Uh, slightly different today, we're on Zoom. Craig has had a bit of an injury, so has stuck in his room, unfortunately. Aye, I'm, I'm housebound now, but we're on roombound. Aye, well, usually I like to ask, um, how are we doing, Craig? So, like, genuinely, like, how are you doing uh, this time? I still can't walk, but yeah. uh, I could lamp too much air from my bed, which is right there. So it's fine, it's fine, I can That's make that I can make that distance. <laughs> So, on the line this week, we have uh, John Mortimer from Abolish Holyrood, or to give them the full name, uh, Abolish the Scottish Parliament Party. Is that right? That's all correct, isn't it, John? That's right, yeah. Perfect, perfect. So, so again, how are you doing, John? How's your, how's your week been? Uh, I'm, I'm well, thank, thanks. Yeah, I've been quite busy just with uh, doing a lot of the online campaign and all the admin that's involved with it, because I'm the election agent for each of the eight regions. So uh, it was quite a lot of admin and exchanging emails and phone calls and all that kind of boring stuff, but uh, involved with the campaigning side of things as well. So yeah, keeping busy. So John, uh, so have you been getting much feedback on the on your uh, policies and stuff like that recently? Is it, is it been okay? Yeah, I mean we've got a lot of engagement on social media. Um, we've got our own Facebook page where you know every day if I put up graphics, they'll tend to get you know a few hundred uh, likes and shares. Will be able to reach several thousand people. So mm. that's been a really useful way to kind of engage with. The electorate, uh, you know, during these circumstances, but you know, uh, physical campaigning hasn't really been allowed until basically the last week or so. So, yeah, um, yeah, we get good engagement online. Uh, we get a lot of people getting in touch with us. Um, you know, a lot of people you know, tell us that they, either they voted against evolution in the original referendum back in 1997, and you know they're glad that they've got another opportunity to do that. But there's also people contacting us saying that they voted for it back in 1997. But now they're going to be voting abolish because they were promised one thing with Hollywood, but they got something else. You know, they believed uh, New Labour. When as your George Robertson said, devolution will kill nationalism stone dead. That's a, a direct quote from him. Uh, but obviously it's had the opposite effect. It's kind of brought us into the era of SNP government, 14 years of it now, uh, the never-ending constant constitutional obsessions. So a lot of people who uh, voted for devolution believing that it would kind of placate the SNP realise now that this route of appeasement doesn't work. So, uh, yeah, I had a lot of really positive feedback from people. And as I tell people, what we're doing at this election is really unique. We're actually giving people the first chance to vote against evolution since Blair's 1997 referendum. So, yeah, it's uh, it's generated a lot of really good feedback. Mm -hmm. That's good. Uh, Well, what we usually start off on is uh, we like to go back uh, to sort of the beginning uh, so what was your childhood like, John? Were you Did you grow up around a bit here? Uh, well, I live in Glasgow currently. Uh, I grew up in Dumbarton, and I, and I lived there until a few years ago. Um, I went to Knoxon Primary. Um, don't have anything of particular not really to say about my childhood. It was a fairly <laughs> standard childhood. Oh. Um, I, I, went, I went on to I went, went on to study at Glasgow University. I studied history and politics, and I graduated in a... 2011. Never worked in politics or anything like that, um, but I've obviously have been doing this stuff with you know abolish uh, in the last couple of years. So, do, do you remember at all like what sort of sparked you to get into politics? Was there anything like like a like a, a small thing that happened that you remember that like sparked that original idea for you to get into politics or anything like that? Well, I think when I was looking at. Uh, things to study at university. Uh, I, I was more orientated towards history, and I, I did do a, it was a joint degree. I did it was history and politics, mm. 
Uh, I was probably more interested in the history side of things, but I thought that politics might be a bit more uh, practical, perhaps, in terms of getting work afterwards. Um, turned, turned out to be a bit of a misplaced uh, hope. But, um, the, so, yeah, that, I thought that, uh, you know, this would be good to do a joint degree, and that's what uh, got me into the politics side of things. Uh, in terms of what got me involved, uh, you know, outside of, like, an academic setting, I was, it was really the initial referendum back in uh, 2014. Yeah. Uh, I got involved with Better Together. Just as I, like an ordinary uh, activist, I was doing work with you know small teams going around Beefland. Uh, I was Dumbarton in the local areas when I was living there. Um, and that's what got me involved in politics. And uh, over time, I came to kind of develop the, the views that I have now, and in particular, this criticism of devolution and just this sense that the whole setup that we have at the minute is just completely untenable from a, a kind of unionist perspective. Right. Okay. You got anything to add? Nothing so to... I, I was looking around and it, it's quite hard to find uh, information on support or being against devolution. Uh, have you got anything on your side that sort of shows what you should be expecting at the polls? I mean, the major pollsters don't uh, tend to include us in the polls. They certainly don't prompt us as one of the options. It's the same, it's the same really for any parties outside the kind of big five, maybe the Alba party. But um, yeah, we, we often refer to a major poll conducted by Panel Base in Sunday 19 on behalf of the Sunday Times. And that showed that support for abolishing Holyrood in Scotland uh, was in, in 2019 22%. Uh, when you break it down by party, for, for example, a majority of Scottish Conservative voters, 57%, support scrapping the Scottish Parliament. So uh, j- just for context on that 22% figure, when you're contesting a Scottish parliamentary election on the regional lists, which is what we're doing, uh, because of proportional representation, you will elect an MSP with between 55 and 6% of the vote in any given region. So, you know, as I, I tell people, we only need one in every four of those who actually want to scrap the Scottish Parliament to lend us their regional vote, their second vote, and we would elect an MSP in each of the eight regions and be able to provide, you know, an anti-devolution voice and build the momentum, you know, in the future towards, uh, you know, eventually abolition. So with that number of 22%, does that not suggest a drop in support for uh, abolition Parliament? Sorry, I've got banging outside. I don't know if you could hear that, but it's doing my nothing. <laughs> so apologies for that. That's no bother. It's quite, quite faint, so that's no bother at all. Right, OK. Um, yeah, well, it shows the support's not really changed. Well, overall, if you were to go back to Blair's referendum, it's not really a, a massive change, but it's risen very significantly compared to what it was uh, you know, a number of years before that, when it was, it was quite a fringe position. It would, it would be sitting around like the 10% mark. It's risen quite a lot recently, as I said, up to 22% in 2019. And I think that's because of, you know, the fact of having this, you know, 14 years now of uh, kind of SNP misrule from Holyrood, uh, you know, Scotland becoming almost like a, feeling like a one-party state in some ways, you know, through devolution. Uh, and what's been really interesting as well is just over the last 12 months, how much this kind of evil sceptic position has began to enter the mainstream in a way that it never did before. Uh, I mean, there's 
made, I mean, I think a lot of it goes back to Boris Johnson's leaked comment about devolution being a disaster. And it was interesting that it was something that was leaked. It was something he felt that he couldn't say in public, obviously, going against his own party's pro-devolution policy, but in private, he could see that it was a disaster. And since then, you've had you know, Andrew Neil saying Scotland's become a banana republic without bananas. You've had uh, mainstream commentators like Fraser Nelson, The Spectator, Brian Monteith and The Scotsman, uh, Henry Hill at Conservative Home, all taking either it's kind of soft devo sceptic positions or else being outright anti-devolution. So it's really entered you know, mainstream discourse in the last 12 months in a way that it never had before. So that's building on that 22% uh, base that was there in that major poll in 2019. And a lot of people might say, well, 22% is a minority. Yes, but it's a sizable minority. And if you look at the, the independence polling, when they launched the independence referendum back in 2012, it was only polling around 27%. So, and, and they, they built that up, obviously, to, to 45%, uh, which they got in the actual referendum itself. So we have a very good base to work with with this. And it's, I mean, if you look at Hollywood and how unrepresentative it is of the diversity of Scottish opinion on devolution, I mean, we've got, there's 129 MSPs at Hollywood. Every single one is either pro-devolution or pro more devolution than what we currently have. And in fact, most are pro, pro more devolution than what we currently have. But if Hollywood actually reflected Scottish public opinion, uh, you know, going back to that panel base poll 22%, you would expect about 30 of those 129 MSPs to be uh, putting forward an anti-devolution or a devo-skeptic point of view. But we're not, they, they don't, we don't have that. We don't have that voice. We just have this stifling pro-devolution consensus. Yeah, I, I would say, to be fair, it's people that are against devolution kind of don't really have a choice of party to vote for. I mean, their only choice really uh, until your party came along was UKIP, and UKIP just aren't very popular in general. So they've not really had anybody to vote for. So not uh, I, I say this in a lot of podcasts, but I'm not to show uh, favouritism for anybody, but I would imagine that in the same way that Alliance for Unity and ALBA are going to appeal to people that are trying to maximise their side of the vote, I would imagine that your party would do the same thing because it's not like it doesn't take specific uh, ideas in certain ways the same way UKIP does. It's sort of just there for that specific purpose of abolishing uh, Hollywood. Yeah, well, we're very much like a single, anti, a single issue anti-devolution party. The, the thing with UKIP, um, I mean, I, I, it's really a kind of defunct brand. Uh, and they've actually flip-flopped a lot with devolution. It was not long ago that UKIP were calling for an English parliament and for a federal UK. Um, you know, they're polling in recent, you know, the thoughts of the local by-elections where they've been polling under 1%. So unfortunately, they're just not really credible as a, you know, kind of anti-devolution option. And then the thing is as well, is because they're not just a single issue anti-devolution party, they've got a lot of baggage from their other issues that they've been involved with over the years and the other kind of personalities that have been involved with them. So abolished, it doesn't have any of that. We are very much a single issue party for anybody who is anti-devolution. I'll point out as well, it's often characterised as, as being some kind of like right-wing uh, point of view, but there's nothing inherently right or left-wing about wanting to scrap devolution. And one of the most uh, outspoken original 
uh, Devo Skeptics was Tam Dariel, obviously the Labour MP. So uh, it's, it's across, it's across a political spectrum uh, kind of issue, you know, because it's just a single issue on a constitutional point. And I think, um, you know, there's, there's reason to believe we'll do it well. There's, there's no one uh, representing that point of view in Scottish politics. Uh, you know, abolish is going to be there, top of every single regional list ballot paper in Scotland with this striking message and very good branding. I mean, if you compare, even just looking at the ballot paper optics, Alex Salmon completely mucked up his registration with the Electoral Commission, so he doesn't even have a logo on the ballot paper. Um, you know, whereas Abolish, you're very striking there at the top, this big union flag emblem. So we're certainly going to, even though the media has tried, has just given us blackout, essentially, um, we are going to get noticed because we knew that we would have to rely on the ballot paper itself to reach people. Just on that point about the media blackout, it's it's extraordinary that you could have a situation where you have a national election and there's a party that's contesting every single region. No, every single person in Scotland can vote for abolish this election because we've got candidates all across the country and we have not got a mention on ITV, not on the BBC, nothing. I mean, I mean that's absolutely extraordinary. Have they even like sent messages to you? Have they tried to get in touch with you or anything like that or at all? Uh, we've we've had a bit of a back and forth with them. Um, I can't don't necessarily want. I'm not sure on the whole legal thing of going into specifics of what's been said and oh, whatnot. True. So I'm not going into that. But um, yeah, we have been in touch with them and we have been trying to resolve this. But it's it's another. It's just an example of the kind of behind the, the scenes things that ends up taking up a lot of your time when you're running something like this. You know, it's like you don't get to spend all the time on the campaign trail. Uh, you know, you, a lot of it is spent doing this behind-the-scenes stuff and the admin and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I feel like yeah. they, can, they can send some people jumping through hoops. In some sense, like like some of the sort of the, the bigger the politics shows will get in touch really quickly, and then they'll sort of palm you off on like the smaller politics shows and stuff like that, and then just so they keep you doing that for a lot of the time. So a lot of your time spent just trying to get on like politics on Radio Four or something like that, like for for like a ten-minute slot or something like that. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it's like. It's just like constant back and forth, constant chasing people up, um, arguing with people when the uh, you know the, the whole uh, you know just 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 to get some basic coverage. But we have had coverage, and uh, you know we've had articles about us in the Daily Record. Mm-hmm. Uh, we covered uh, recently in the Times following a, a phone interview I did uh, with one of our journalists. Um, so we've been picked up by a few different papers. Um, Henry Hill mentioned us, did quite a good piece uh, talking about, uh, following on for a piece he did about the, the abolish the Welsh Assembly Party and the Spectator. So we have, we have had some coverage, but uh, I think it's really wrong that the the kind of establishment media has just given us this, uh, this, this blackout when you know we have candidates across the whole country. It's, uh, quite, it's quite extraordinary, really. But in a way, that's also because we are a threat to them and their positions. I mean, they have all these reporters that are based at Hollywood, you know, whose careers are about reporting devolved politics. So obviously, being in a, wanting to scrap that whole infrastructure, we are obviously a threat to them. So that plays into it as well. But because we've got the good uh, social media content, uh, I, you know, we're reaching thousands of people every day through that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're doing everything we can to get the message across. And, you know, we're the first thing that everyone's going to see right at the top of the regionalist ballot paper with this kind of strike in branding. So we always accounted for the media marginalising us. 
you're a graphic designer by trade, right? Yeah, it's something I've well, it's something I've ended up doing, and uh, it's not something that I that I studied. You know, as I said, my background is history and politics, so I'm basically self-taught, and I've ended up being able to get like a number of contracts just through a kind of network of contacts that I have through kind of small organisations and campaign groups, etc. So yeah, that's and that's that's basically why I've been able to do this kind of professional content for abolish. That must be really helpful because I've been in a number of small parties. And we've always sort of relied on someone helping us out. And it's kind of, it must be nice to just be like, okay, this is my idea. I'm just going to make it. And then that's that. And you can make infographics and you can make leaflets and things like that. And it's, you can just turn them out quite easily. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a massive help. Um, you know, I think people sometimes, if they, if they get into politics and, and, and in particular party politics, they maybe have this nice idea that they're going to be part of this like big team where everyone's got their different role and everyone will, you know, and, and so-and-so will take care of this and somebody else will take care of that and it'll all be run very efficiently. <laughs> and uh, In reality, you often end up just basically doing a lot of it yourself. Like I've had to get really fly for dealing with the electoral commission, for dealing with the media, press releases, uh, all the admin of, you know, so being an election agent, myself for all of our candidates in all the regions, uh, doing the graphic design work, doing the, the print content, you know, the leaflets and stuff we've, we've had produced. Um, yeah, it's a lot of work to it. Um, and it's been very useful to have those graphic design skills. Um, and, you know, even for things like the website, which I put up and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's been really useful. Oh, did you make the website as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not one of these parties where we've, you know, that, Often small parties will maybe be like a retired businessman who's got spare time and spare money and he'll just, you know, go to these, you know, big professional companies that will charge him extortionate rates to, to do fairly basic stuff. No, we, we, we just really have to learn how to do everything ourselves. And it's good that I've got a small team around me. I, I, I still speak clear. I don't want to make it sound like I'm doing everything myself because I'm not. You know, we've got a really good kind of small core team that's doing a lot of hard work and... And, you know, working really hard over the past few months to bring this together. I think what we've done is pretty exceptional, considering we don't have the the money or the profile even of other small parties that, you know, eventually like Alliance for Unity. We don't have, you know, George Galloway's money or profile or anything like that. And we've had to work really hard to put this together. And I think we've pulled off something, you know, quite pretty impressive under the circumstances to cover all of Scotland as a new party, to have candidates there right across the country and to to win as well the battle for becoming top of the ballot paper, because I know we'll have wound Alex Salmond up. He would, he'll have been angling for a repeat of what he did in 2007 with the SNP. I don't know if you remember, in 2007 when they, when they actually got in at Hollywood, they, rather than standing under their name on the regionalist ballot paper, stood under the description Alex Salmond for First Minister. So it would go at the top, and he he will have been planning to replicate that with Alba Party, and he want he will have wanted his uh, Saltire logo that um, you maybe noticed him using uh, to be top of every ballot paper in Scotland. So in the end, he's been very unceremoniously booted off by Abolish. He's now booted off top spot, and he doesn't have a logo because he me- messed up his his registration with the Electoral Commission. Um, it, just by on that point, actually, it's, uh, sorry if I'm going off on a tangent here, but just talking about uh, the kind of, you know, how I was mentioning doing a lot of things myself and how these other parties will uh, you know, pay goodness knows how much the professionals to take uh, care of stuff for them. It's extraordinary how incompetent 
the major parties have been at sorting out such a basic thing as what appears on the ballot paper. I mean, about half the parties on the list have in some way mucked up their ballot paper, um, you know, their, their, their registration of the electoral commission, so they've not got the right stuff on the ballot paper. I mean, the, the Scottish Conservatives wanted to use the description end division, no referendum, rebuild Scotland on the ballot paper. And instead of a logo? Um, sorry? Instead of a logo? Uh, no, the way it works on the regional list ballot paper is you have the party name, right. and then you can also have a party emblem and also a six-word description. Okay. But the description has got to include a reference to the party name. The reason for that is that, it can, is that the description can be used instead of the party name on the constituencies. Okay. So the Conservatives applied for the description, no referendum, end division, rebuild Scotland. Of course, that was rejected because it doesn't include a reference to the party name. So they now don't have a description on the ballot paper. That's a part of the UK government with all their paid staff, all their specialists <laughs> to sort this stuff out. Can't even sort that out. Labour Party wanted to use a couple of descriptions. They had one along the lines of, uh, I think it was like Anis Sarwar, Labour's National Recovery Plan, and it had another kind of similar equivalent. They put both into the Electoral Commission well after the deadline. And uh, so they weren't accepted. They went through a, a big legal challenge with the Electoral Commission, and I believe they lost and had to pay the Electoral Commission's legal fees. So Labour also don't have description on the ballot paper. Jesus. Alba, Alba Party completely mucked up all the descriptions and their logo. The, the descriptions didn't include, again, any reference to the party name. I don't know what exactly happened with the logo, but I do know that the Electoral Commission is a rule against using logos that mimic an X mark. And so Alba's yeah. Saltire logo probably fell foul of that. But I mean, they should have read the rules. They should have known this stuff. You, know, you look at some of the former First Minister of Scotland, with all the money and resources and contacts he has, can't sort that out. Uh, other small parties with problems as well. I know George Galloway is all for unity. They wanted to have his name on the ballot paper, but of course can't do that because he's not the candidate in all regions. So so many parties have just completely mucked that up. And if you look at the ballot paper, about half the parties, including a lot of the major ones, don't have a description because they just completely mucked up. So abolish, we get everything right because I've just dealt with everything with the Electoral Commission myself. I know the rules inside out with them. Uh, so we've got really amazing branding that this is the top of every ballot paper, abolish the Scottish Parliament Party, the big union flag, actually save 100 million yearly. Um, so yeah, and it, it just shows you these parties with all their money, all their profile, all their experts, they can't even sort out the basics. It's, it's pathetic really, you know. That's just, uh, and, and, and then we wonder why they don't do a very good job at running the country. Do you think it's ego that they're, they're already there so they don't need to worry about it? The electoral commission is going to bend over backwards to accommodate them, and uh, it just turns out it's not true. I think there's definitely an element of that because Labour, uh, you know, to, to use their example, you know, they put in their stuff well after the deadline, and then they launched a this legal challenge that was reported in the papers. Um, despite the fact that they were clearly in the wrong, it was their own fault for putting it in well after the deadline, uh, and so they lost their case. So yeah, I think the ego is. As a part of it. Interestingly, uh, there was the, the SNP put in a couple of descriptions for use in the ballot paper uh, along the lines of, uh, I think it was like SNP, but both, both folks SNP for Indirect 2 or something to that effect they were going to use in the ballot paper. And it was actually reported in the media 
that they had uh, failed to use these descriptions of the election. And the SNP put those in miles after the deadline. Like it was literally like right before, it was very close before the actual nomination papers start to go in. Uh, and, and remarkably, the SNP's ones were approved. They were approved despite, and not only that, they were approved despite being put in much later than those of several other parties, smaller parties that weren't approved. Uh, you know, because there were other parties that went in a little bit after the deadline, didn't get approved. The SNP's went in well after the deadline and did get approved. So I think they probably have had enough clout just to, I don't know, bully or whatever the electoral commission into uh, into accepting them. Although, funnily enough, in the end, the SNP didn't actually use those descriptions on the ballot paper. They used one that had, they had registered for years, the, the Nicola Sturgeon for First Minister. So that yeah. it could just be a total, like, yeah, see what I could do. You just kind of do that, but I can't because I'm the boss. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't really know what I think it was. I think, I think they probably applied for those uh, in response to Alex Salmon launching the Alba party, and they felt that there was a threat to their kind of hardcore right, yeah. you know, pro-NDF2 vote. However, they've probably have monitored the polls and have saw that Alex Salmon's not been doing too well in them, and they maybe feel that they, they risk alienating their softer vote if they, make, if they start being too overt in making the election about a second referendum. Uh, that, but, but that's an interesting fact in itself that the SNP haven't registered these descriptions for use in the ballot paper about a second referendum, aren't using them because they probably feel that they would damage them at the polls. So that tells you a lot about the, the appetite for a second referendum in Scotland, you know, that it's not there. So, so this is the first time this has came up so often in uh, election campaigns. But I've had to ask this question. In slightly different ways to three or four different parties now. Maybe five, actually. Uh, are you worried that you're going to end up splitting the vote of unionists? Well, we are only contesting the regional list, which is proportional representation. So that avoids uh, splitting the vote. And in fact, what it does is it can help maximise the unionist vote. Because if the larger unionist parties do win constituency seats through this tactical voting campaign... For every constituency seat uh, a party wins within a region, they lose one seat of what they win on the regional lists. It's a very confusing and convoluted system. And you're essentially casting your first vote and your second vote with no uh, knowledge of how the one will affect the other because you don't know how votes are going to fall on the day. But um, it's, it's proportional representation. We're not contesting any constituencies. We're only contesting the regional lists. So we know that all votes that we win on the regional list count because we won't get penalised for having won constituency seats. Um, something else I would say as well is when this issue comes up is it's, people have got this idea that you know unionist votes can just be kind of shuffled freely between party. But that's not the case. You know, we, a lot of Labour voters are voting Labour not on a unionist ticket, but on you know, their, their social policies or whatever, yeah. same in the Lib Dems, even it's the same with a minority of Conservative voters, you know, they're kind of small government, rural Tories. I mean, if you go up to the northeast in Scotland, it's well known that Conservative voters there will tactically vote on an anti-Labour basis and they'll swing between the SNP and the Tories because they regard those parties as being more friendly to, you know, rural affairs than Labour. So this idea that, uh, you know, unionist votes can just be shuffled between Labour and Conservative and Lib Dem 
is a bit, you know, problematic. Um, but another thing that Abolish is doing, I think that other like, uh, small unionist parties aren't, is that we're actually bringing like protest votes that are just completely outside of unionist and nationalist politics, like into the unionist camp. So yeah, we will abolish. Will have like this core uh, unionist support, but we're also going to get a lot of protest voters that are just angry at politicians. I mean, we get a lot of people messages who say, "Yeah, I hate Hollywood, but I also hate Westminster, hate the Lords, the Commons, and all the waste there." You know, they hate the EU. They just hate everything. They hate all politicians. And it's not about unionism or nationalism. It, for a lot of people, it's just going to be a protest vote. So we're actually doing, you know, something like, for example, Alliance for Unity, which is all about shuffling votes, existing unionist votes between unionist parties without really bringing anything new into it. What Abolish is doing is, is actually bringing this whole protest vote element into the unionist camp and, and you know, onto our unionist ticket. So I think we're doing something very useful in that sense of this election, you know. This is a weird question, so, so bear with me. Is there is there a possibility that you could be appealing to like like you said the sort of fuck every politician type people? Could you uh, theoretically be um, exciting to anarchist types because you're trying to get rid of a, a government institution? Um, I don't really know what, what an anarchist take on abolish would be. Um, I can see how it might feed into that spirit a little bit, you know, just kind of saying. Uh, it's, it's certainly one way to let the politicians at Hollywood know how you feel about them, you know, um, mm. just abolish, scrap the law kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. I mean, from, from the beginning, I, I knew that an important part of our electoral strategy would be that it's not all just about shuffling existing unionist votes between, you know, unionist parties. It's actually about reaching out to other um, you know, elements of the electorate that are perhaps feeling unrepresented at the minute. And uh, I think an important point as well that a lot of people don't realise with politics is that the average person that doesn't, that's not really heavily politically engaged tends to vote out of like very vague sentiments rather than any attachment to like a particular issue or set of policies. Like so, a lot of people that vote SNP aren't you know diehard Scottish nationalists. They're also not necessarily you know like centre left social democrats. There's a lot of uh, people that are voting SNP that are voting for them because they see them as being a protest vote. Um, less so now than was the case in the past, but there is still a large... I mean, if there's opinion polls that have showed that about a third of SNP voters are pro-Brexit, that they want reduced immigration. Uh, I know that's especially true of the kind of more traditional uh, wing within the SNP, you know, their support base, especially if you get up north and their kind of old heartland yeah. is, is more... Uh, it's like the kind of tartan Tory stereotype, you know? Yeah. It's almost like a kind of, it's almost like a, the same sentiments as UKIP, but with this kind of Scottish nationalist uh, kind of dressing over it. So there's a lot of SNP voters are protest voters, and the way to win them over to unionism is not necessarily by having this kind of like soft, centrist, middle ground, mushy kind of Ruth Davidson type unionism. It's actually by offering... A, a protest alternative that's you know more of a protest vote than the SNP. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, I was involved in a local by-election in uh, in Fortissant Ward. It's called it's like Heart Hill and Shots. Um, this was back in 2017. It was with a small unionist party I was involved with then called the Better Britain Unionist Party. Um, 
and I was at the count. Uh, and on the local elections, you can actually see the the ballots come up. It's like flashed up on an electronic screen as we're counting them. And a lot of the back, these a good number at that election were people who had done a better Britain Unionist Party, which had a union flag emblem similar to abolished. They were doing that as a first vote, and their second vote was SNP. And the Tory candidate was standing not along from not far along from me, and I overheard her saying something along the lines of, like, "I can't understand that. Why is, why is that happening?" But I, but I did understand why it was happening. It was because you know people vote. People have very kind of compartmentalised, eclectic uh, understandings of politics. And as I said, they're often voting out of vague sentiments rather than attachment to policy. Uh, so that made total sense to me. They probably just see a better Britain Union's part in SNP as being, you know, in some sense, anti-establishment options. Uh, it just reminds me of a story someone else told me about uh, back, back in the days when UK politics was the Labour Party, the Conservative Party, and the Liberal Party. Uh, this was, you know, prior to the Liberal Party merging with the SDP to become the Liberal yeah. Democrats. And the Liberal Party back then was very much, you know, very pro-Europe, very uh, progressive, very pro-immigration, all this kind of stuff. But they're also very much like the kind of third party, the kind of smaller. Uh, it was sort of like a two and a half party system. You know, like the Labour and Tories were very much dominant, the Liberals were kind of the outsiders. And I remember this person telling me that he would be on the campaign trail and he'd be speaking to a lot of people who were angry protest voters, who were anti-immigration, who were anti-Europe, who were anti the whole kind of progressive um, view of politics. But they would vote Liberal because they saw the Liberals as being the wee guy you know, up against the system. So even though the party was opposite to everything they believed in, they would vote for it out of this vague sentiment that it was a protest vote, that it was a vote for the wee guy. Mm. And that's exactly the sort of thing I was seeing in that local by-election. Um, SNP, you know, a better Britain Unionist Party won SNP to vice versa and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, all that kind of stuff is fed into the understanding of what we're doing with abolishing. It's very much about, yeah, there'll be like a unionist core there. But we're also reaching out beyond that. I think that's our strength. We've got that flexibility of we've got unionist votes, but we've also got these just like anti-politician protest votes. And I think that could be our real strength at this election. Okay. Right, so we've got about like three minutes left on the Zoom call here. Uh, this part of the cool thing that happens on Zoom, you get 40 minutes. So sorry about that. Um do we have do you have anything else, John, that like particularly like you want covered before we Finish? Hey, I can just do a wee kind of finishing spiel, I suppose, just uh, saying what we're offering. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, okay, well, um, you know, abolish the Scottish Parliament Party, you know, it does exactly what it says in the tin. We want to scrap the expensive, divisive, failed, leader devolution experiment. You know, what we're doing in this election is we're giving Scots the first opportunity to vote against devolution since Blair's 97 referendum for all Scots under the age of 40. It's the first ever opportunity to vote against devolution. With the Scottish Parliament, it now costs well over 100 million to run every single year. That's millions spent on your lavish salaries, exorbitant expenses and vanity projects. When ordinary Scots are suffering with no job uh, losses, cuts to public services and SNP tax hikes. So what we are saying is we want to scrap Hollywood. We want to save 100 million every year, spend it on the NHS and education 
instead and get away from this kind of bleary concept that the UK is nothing more than a loose collection of four largely self-governing nations. We want to make the case that the UK is a unitary state. But the politics of devolution and referenda that have taken over uh, over the last decade or so are completely unsustainable. They're not tenable from a unionist perspective. And it's very important that we have, finally have an anti-devolution voice in Scottish politics. We know the support to make gains at this election is there. We only, with uh, as the panel-based poll referred to, showed 22% support for abolition. We only need 5 to 6% to win an NSP in every region and be able to provide a vital and much-needed anti-devolution voice in Scottish politics. So vote abolish if you want to end the Hollywood gravy train and uh, help us win much-needed regionalist seats off the Greens. There you go. Well, John, thank you for joining us. It's been heavily appreciated. Well, thanks for having me. It's been really good to speak to you. And uh, thanks for giving me the, the, uh, you know, the coverage.